So, Squirrel will say something about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. he will. He will. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your squirrel, the host, not being able to find the right buttons this morning. It's good to have you with us. I am coming to you live from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. Good to have you with us. Today is the first day of the uh, on-campus intensive on uh, soteriology at uh, Grace Bible Theological Seminary, so... Uh, we had our prayer meeting this morning that we do every Thursday morning. And when I logged in, there was a bunch of students around the table at the seminary where we only have a few people normally. So it's good to see everybody there. Um, hope they have a wonderful time. I uh, wish I could have been there, but it just didn't work out that I would be able to go down there for that. And so I didn't. <laughs> But I am leaving Sunday for California for Shepherd's Conference, and I'm looking forward to that. So that is my reminder that there will be no squirrel chatter next week. Um, probably not until Wednesday of the week after. I'm not sure what date that is, but that's. But there will be no squirrel chatter next week for sure. Um, with the exception that I reserve the right to go live from California at any time I want to. Um, I will have portable equipment with me. Um, and so I will be able to do that, but I uh, just want to let you know that I might not do it. Um, I, I've said several times I've gone on these trips that I was taking stuff with me and that I've never done anything with it. Um, but I have it with me. So there, I will have microphones and recorders and webcams and all that stuff with me. Um, but will I use it? That is the question. So just to point that out, that uh, the possibility exists, but I am making no promises. This is Squirrel Chatter. This is a podcast dedicated to scripture, theology, history, current events, and whatever else it is that I want to talk about. We webcast every Monday through Friday, except for next week when I'm gone. Um, at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And then the podcast is available on multiple platforms wherever fine podcasts are found. Just search for Squirrel Chatter. You will find us. And uh, if you can't find us, email me and I'll find us for you. Um, today on the show, we got prayers from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. We have a reading from John MacArthur's Daily Readings of the Life of, from the Life of Christ. And then it is Theology Thursday, so we are returning to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, Chapter 10 of Effectual Calling. And it is my goal to finish up that chapter today. And that's where we are. So let's go ahead and, and get started with our prayer of confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. And just as a note, I'm actually thinking about switching to the 2019 ACNA prayer book versions of these prayers. Um, I don't know yet. I'm deciding. Uh, I like the, the new 
2019 prayer book a lot. Um, the English is more modern. There's a couple of clarifying remarks that are helpful. Um, but it's still basically the same prayers that Cranmer wrote, you know, 400 some odd years ago. So that, well, not quite 400 years ago. We're, we're so this is 23, so 52, that's 30 years, so 370 years ago. So that's, that's where we're at. All right. The prayer of confession from our 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Let us pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us, miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now, John MacArthur's Daily Readings from the Life of Christ. Our devotional today is entitled, Christ Sovereignly Masters Satan. Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Matthew 4.10 Dr. MacArthur writes, The devil's final proposal was so outlandish and beyond the boundaries of God's will that Jesus dismissed him with a with the terse, firm command, Go, Satan. Satan can wield his present power only by God's permission. Therefore, he had no choice but to leave Christ's presence. This last interaction is a prime example of our Lord's sovereign mastery over the enemy. If the Savior would not compromise on a mundane matter such as turning stones to bread, he certainly would not compromise on the major issue of worshiping and serving anyone besides the Father and the Father alone. Christ will finally inherit God's kingdom in God's perfect time, and we will inherit it with him. Matthew 5.5, 5, Matthew 25.34, Romans 8.17. This glorious truth doesn't mean God will not give us many good things in this life, because no one desires our happiness more than our Heavenly Father. Jesus himself later taught, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Matthew 7.11 Knowing this, why should any of us want to settle for any of the cheap, fleeting substitutes of instant gratification that Satan offers? Ask yourself, what inspires you the most about Jesus' reaction to Satan's three temptations? What are the most convicting or compelling aspects of his testimony that would look good on you as well. Thank him for his sturdy, steady faithfulness and ask him to grow the same in you. All right, well, it is Theology Thursday. We are in the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, chapter 10 of Effectual Calling. Last week we looked at paragraphs 1 and 2, and today we're going to look at paragraphs 3 and 4. So I'm going to read paragraphs 3 and 4, 
and then we will discuss them and go through the scriptural proofs. Paragraph 3. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit, who works when and where and how he pleases. So also are all elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. Paragraph 4. Others not elected, although they may be called by the ministry of the Word, and may have some common operations of the Spirit, yet not being effectually drawn by the Father, they neither will nor can truly come to Christ, and therefore cannot be saved. Much less can men that do not receive the Christian religion be saved. Be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they do profess. All right, uh, deep stuff today. We got deep stuff today. First on paragraph three. It begins with elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit. There's a lot of discussion about what happens to babies who die. And this is a fact that we need to take into account as we address these things. Nowhere in the scripture does it say that all babies automatically are elect. All babies who die are automatically elect and go to heaven. Also, nowhere in the scriptures does it say that all babies who die, who obviously have never professed Christ, go to hell. What we have is several facts laid out for us. First, God is good, and God is just, and God is holy. The very character of God reassures us that when we understand whatever it is God has done, we will understand that what he has done is right and good and just and holy. So uh, Abraham's question to God as they were looking over the, the cities of the plains, he said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And the answer to that is an emphatic affirmative. The, God, the judge of all the earth will do right. And we can rest assured in that. Now we understand that God has sovereignly chosen from before the foundation of the world all who will be saved. He has chosen the people and he has chosen the means. And so there are elect infants. Now, is that every infant? I don't know. But there are elect infants. And we can take heart in the fact that the judge of all the earth will do right. Um, but how that works and what that exactly means in, in cases of the death of infancies, we really do not know. So the, the, the paragraph says that elect infants, so if there is an infant who is among the elect, whose name has been written in the book of life from before the foundation of the world, who dies in infancy, and infancy includes gestation. So miscarriages, children who die by abortion, they would be included in dying in infancy. 
Some or all of them are among the elect. Elect infants dying in infancy are regenerated and saved by Christ through the Spirit. There is no separate way of salvation. They are born again. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. They are born again, and they are brought to faith by the Holy Spirit. Now, it is not going to be an intellectually mature faith. Um, it doesn't need to be. It is the faith that is granted by the Holy Spirit. Because remember, it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and that is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. That gift includes the faith. So if you have believed the gospel and repented of your sin, the faith to believe the gospel and the will to repent of your sin, both are gifts from God. That's not of yourself. You have nothing to brag about. And so in the same way, the Holy Spirit can give faith to an infant, pre-birth or post-birth. They die in infancy. So we're given several scriptural proofs here. John 3.3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then John 3, 5 and 6, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So the Holy Spirit is more than capable of bringing regeneration upon infants who lack mature mental capacities as he sovereignly wills. And so the Holy Spirit, it, it begins it continues saying who works, when and where and how he pleases. And John 3, 8 is the, the passage there where we say, and the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but do not know where it comes from or where it is going, so is everyone who has been born of the Spirit. The 1689 continues by saying, so also are all elect persons who are incapable of being outwardly called by the ministry of the Word. Incapably of being, incapable, <laughs> incapably, incapable of being outwardly called. What is this referring I believe that very strongly this is referring to the, the mentally infirm, the, the mentally disabled, the, the mentally incapacitated, either by you know, genetic defect or by injury, you know, car crash, etc. Um, if they are incapable of hearing and understanding the gospel because of an it's the effects of the curse you know you're either you're either born with a mental disability or you inherit one through a accident or or illness but there are people we know who are mentally infirm who who will never be able to come to a mature understanding of the gospel they are not automatically excluded by that. If they are among the elect, God will regenerate them and they will be saved. 
And, and that's because the Holy Spirit can do this. So God is able to save whom he will, and it is whom he will that will be saved. Um, John chapter 1, you know, those who are born not of the will of man, you know, but of God. So that is definitely, you know, within God's purview to say, and he will save all of the elect. And, and of course, we don't know who all that is, um, especially when we're considering infants and the mentally infirm. You know, who has God decided to save? So, you know, that's, that's, we can take hope in the fact that the judge of all the earth will do right. And so resting, resting in the nature and character of God, you know, the, 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 the things that are revealed belong to man, but the hidden things belong to the Lord. And there are things that we do not understand. There are things that we are not told and again, the fate of every infant and every mentally disabled person is not revealed to us in the scriptures. And so we need to, to rest in the goodness and sovereignty of God in situations like that. Um, so we don't get, you know, like, like I said, I, I've heard... Cases that, you know, every, every child before the age of accountability, which is not really defined in Scripture, although it does talk about a time when children do not know right from wrong. But, uh, um, you know, where, where, at what point, you know, so there, there are people who say, that you know, young children before this age of accountability nebulously defined, are all saved. You know, Scripture doesn't say that. There are those who say only the children of Christians are saved. These are normally paedo-baptists who say they've been baptized as infants, they're, they're saved. Um, scripture doesn't say that either. So, you know, and they and they like to use the, the Old Covenant uh, Right of circumcision as their version, you know, the old covenant version of baptism. And so they say, you know, infants were circumcised in the old covenant, infants were baptized in the new covenant. And, and that's where they're drawing that parallel. The problem is many of those circumcised infants in Israel were not saved. I mean, the entire generation that you know, as we've been studying in Deuteronomy, that entire generation that was led out of Egypt and came to Mount Sinai, the vast majority of them died in unbelief. And they heard the voice of God. They saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the plagues on Egypt, and they still didn't believe. So keep that in mind, that just because, you know, an infant's been baptized doesn't mean that infant is among the elect. So there's all sorts of things that people have said that really doesn't have strong scriptural support. So we need to rely on two things. God saves whom he wills, 
and God is able to save whomever he wills. And everything that the judge of the earth does is right. So we can relax on that. Paragraph four. This is giving us the, the counter argument, not counter, it's the, the other side of election, which is the doctrine of reprobation, um, which is not something that's, that's really taught much and talked about much, but it is something to think about because it is scriptural. Others not elected although they may be called by the ministry of the word and may have some common operations of the spirit. What are we talking about here? Okay. This is the people who hear the gospel and reject it. These are people who, you know, they, they, you know, have some operations of the spirit. We're, We're seeing there, I mean, God restrains evil, and he restrains evil in unsaved people. So the the Holy Spirit is active, you know, in the world. And the Holy Spirit can be active in any life. That action that the Holy Spirit takes is not always regeneration and faith. Yeah. Scripture says that the the hearts of kings are in the Lord's hands and he can turn them wherever he wills. Doesn't mean all those kings are safe, but it does mean they're subject to the will of God. So even though somebody has heard the word and even though somebody has, you know, their evil restrained by the Holy Spirit doesn't mean they are of the elect. Matthew 22, 14 for many are called, but few are chosen. There are a lot of people who hear the gospel and reject it. Now, God's word says, my word will not return to me void, but it will accomplish my purposes. That's in Isaiah. So God does accomplish his purpose with the reciting of his word. But that purpose is not always salvation. Sometimes that purpose is to, you know, harden the heart. Um, So the person will reject the gospel and accrue to themselves a harsher penalty because of God's justice. And that's one of the things that, you know, I say, they always say people, we had so many, so many people respond to the gospel. Everybody who hears the gospel responds to the gospel. The elect respond with repentance and faith. The non-elect respond with uh, lack of repentance and harden of heart and rejection. So everybody responds to the gospel. (laughs) Um, And and God's word will not return void. It will accomplish his purposes. Uh, Matthew 13, 20, 21, the parable of the soils. It's not the parable of the seeds. It's the parable of the soils. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places. This is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but is only temporary. 
And when affliction or persecution arise because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is a group of people who appear to be Christian until troubles come. This is why as, you know, per persecution has a purifying effect on the church. Um, I think about the, the large unbelieving churches that we have seen in the United States really in the second half of the 20th century. Um, things like Robert Schuller, uh, Saddleback, Rick, uh, uh, Joel Osteen's church, Stephen Furtick's church. We've, there are some massive churches out there, the quote-unquote churches, that are not true churches. And you can imagine, because there is no faith in these people, they are religious in many ways, but there's no faith in them. And when persecution rises, you know, Joel Osteen will not be able to fill that basketball arena. Indeed, Joel Osteen won't be there either. Because when persecution arises, they will disappear into the woodwork because they will not be willing to face persecution for the name of Christ. There's going to be a great falling away. <laughs> Scripture predicts it. Um, and, and the times of persecution are coming. Uh, I don't know if you watched some of the, the stuff coming out of, of uh, Washington yesterday. There was uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Oh, I'm so glad he didn't end up on the Supreme Court listening to this man try to give testimony before Congress. And the question came up about the number of anti-abortion protesters who are being prosecuted by the Federal Department of Justice for protesting against abortion, the murder of children. And something like 80, 80, 81 and the, the case came up of a, a family, the um, Hauk, and you probably heard about this a couple of weeks ago, a Roman Catholic family was protesting out of, outside of a, a uh, abortion clinic. And one of the counter-protesters approached this man's 12 or 13-year-old son and began yelling vile things at this young teenage boy. And after refusing to acknowledge the father's request to, you know, leave my minor child alone, the father physically shoved him back. The state, uh, the local district attorney refused to prosecute. The counter-protester tried to bring a private lawsuit and the judge threw it out of court. After all of that, federal charges were filed. The abortion protester, uh, Mr. Hauk, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly, he told the FBI that he would voluntarily turn himself in. You know, and Instead, the FBI sent two dozen 
armed federal SWAT team guys to his house in the early morning hours to arrest him. In doing so, they terrorized his family and children. They pointed guns at minor children. I mean, this was a guy who was not any kind of violent threat. You know, they were not attacking, you know, they were not trying to take down some drug, heavily armed drug cartel guy. They're, they're, they're sending a SWAT team of 20 to 30 agents to a house of a man who had offered to voluntarily turn himself in. You don't think that was an intimidation tactic to let other abortion protesters know that we'll come after you too, you better behave? So he goes to trial on these federal charges. He was acquitted, and the jury took an hour. So yesterday, uh, Senator Josh Hawley was just taking uh, Merrick Garland to task over that. And I watched the video this last night. Oh, man. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I, I am glad I'm not Merrick Garland. And I'm really glad Merrick Garland is not on the Supreme Court, which President Obama had nominated him for. You talk about a guy who would not give a straight answer, who, who tried to filibuster even simple yes and no questions. And there were, there were three uh, Republican senators that just roasted him yesterday in this, this hearing. Um, Ted Cruz was one, Josh Hawley was another one, and I can't remember who the third one was, but I watched the questioning that all three senators did. Josh Hawley's questioning went over like 10 minutes and just, and, and, and Ted Cruz was excellent as well. Just showing the, not only the partiality of this man, but the fact that, you know, he's, he's flat out dishonest. So what we have seen is, you know, that the, the persecution of the church is rising. Now, I don't believe the Roman Catholic Church is a true church. That's a different issue. But the fact that the federal government is preparing to come after religious groups on the basis of their religious beliefs, that means they're going to be coming after the true Christians too. And so you're going to see as the persecution rises and and the honestly the the whole transgender homosexual thing is going to be the wedge that the antichrist forces use to come after the church you're going to see big churches you know many of them already have but you're going to see them much more openly come out as gay affirming and not opposing the party line of thing. But so the, the, that's the people that, that is being talked about in Matthew 13. They're people that appear to be religious, but when the persecution comes, they fall away because they have no root. They are not grounded. They're not attached to the rock. These are the people who are building their lives on the sand to, to use another analogy from the Sermon on the Mount. Also, we receive here uh, Hebrews 6, 4, and 5. 
It says, For in the case of those once having been enlightened and having tasted of the heavenly gift and having become partakers of the Holy Spirit and having tasted the good word of God and the power of the age to come. So he's talking about uh, in Hebrews, he's talking about the people that appear to be religious and fall away. And it says there's, there's no sacrifice for sin any longer. Now, I do not believe, having preached through Hebrews and having studied this passage, I do not believe that the writer to the Hebrews is saying that false converts cannot become true converts. Or, you know, because somebody could be a, you know, could God save Bart Ehrman tomorrow? Absolutely. He could do it today. I mean, that would be a, a, a joy. Um, you know, if if Bart Ehrman is among the elect, he will be saved. Um, so just because he once claimed to be a Christian and now claims not to be a Christian and, and is an apostate, you know, I do believe that God is fully capable of saving him. Um, so what he what he was saying was not when he says there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, he was saying that there's only one sacrifice for sins, and and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other sacrifice. And if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no place to go. <laughs> there's no other way to get your sins forgiven other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, back to the paragraph of the 1689. Continue with, Yet not being effectually drawn by the Father, they neither will nor can truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved. Um, this is one of those things that is just hard for people to accept. God has chosen whom he's going to save. I mean, go back and just study John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Of those that the Father gives me, I will lose none. All that the Father gives me, I will raise up on the last day. And no one can come to me unless it's been granted by the Father. So all that the Father gives to Christ will come to Christ. And they will receive eternal life and they will be raised up on the last day. And no one who was not given by the Father to the Son can come to Christ. It's not going to happen. They will choose to reject Christ. They will die in their sin. And, and so the, this, this not being effectually drawn by the Father... They neither will nor can truly come to Christ and therefore cannot be saved. And it gives us John 6, 44 and through 45. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. John six sixty five, And he was saying, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Um, and quite honestly, when I was making my point, I had not looked down at the scriptural proofs. I copied all this last week, and I did not review it uh, this morning. So, I, that Because the, the writers to the 1689 go to the exact same passage that I would go to to settle that matter. Also give us 1 John 
2, 24 and 25. As for you, let that which you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself has made to us, eternal life. Now, before I go any further, I want to say something. Because I've, I've talked to people who are of a sensitive spirit, who are in the church and giving every indication of true saving faith, who are terrified that they are not among the elect and that they will fall away. And folks, it, and, and it's, been, it's been accused that Calvinists, if you're a Calvinist, you can't really know if you're saved or not. That's ridiculous. Of course you can. First John is a book all about assurance and how to know if you're truly saved. So, you know, do the, do the MacArthur reading plan of reading a book every day for a month. Read First John every day for a month. Read it thoughtfully. Read it prayerfully every day for a month. By the end of that month, you'll know if you're saved or not. And if you're not saved, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And so the elect are those who truly believe. And if you truly believe, you're among the elect. And you don't need to panic about it. And, and a lot of people, you know, they look at, at people who were once quote-unquote Christian and... They see that they have fallen away, and they think, you know, what if that happens to me? Okay, um, prime example is uh, Joshua Harris, who was, you know, an evangelical darling child when he wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye, became a pastor. Um, uh, I think he, he followed C.J. Mahaney at C.J. Mahaney's church, if I remember right. And he was a pastor for many years. And now he totally denies the Christian faith. Folks, he never believed. And I think if we could read his mind back when he was a pastor, back when he was, you know, teaching the Word of God, if we could go back and, and look at exactly what he was thinking, it would be clear to us that he never believed. That's why man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And, and so that, that condition is clear to God that somebody like Joshua Harris never believed. He was never, you can't be a Christian and, and become a non-Christian. First John, they went out from among us because they were not really of us. They weren't, they were, they were outwardly part of the group. But they were not inwardly part of the group. And so that's something that, you know. So even people in the churches. I, I, I was listening to Steve Lawson the other day as he was teaching through First John, um, which is a, a great study. If you, if you don't pay attention to Steve Lawson's The Bible Study that, that they do in Herb's House Coffee on Thursdays, um, I would urge you to pay attention to that 
Um, he they went through the entire book of Romans, took three or so years. Now he he isn't there every week. He was supposed to be there this morning, but he's been ill. He didn't preach last Sunday, and he he didn't do the Bible study this morning. I pray that he is recovered by next week because I really want to see him at Shepherd's Conference and and hear him preach. Um, I mean, you can't look at the pictures behind me on my bookcase and not realize that Steve Lawson is one of my favorite preachers because I've got that uh, pen and ink or uh, drawing of his that uh, was done by a member of Trinity Bible Church in Dallas and the matching pen and ink drawing of uh, John MacArthur that are back there. Those are those are uh, pictures that that help keep me focused when I'm writing Bible studies or writing sermons that, you know, you need to be faithful to the Word of God. And those men are examples to me and have been uh, a great uh, influence on me in my ministry. So, you know, but, but Lawson said during, during one of the Bible studies in First John, he says, you know, if you look at the church worldwide, the visible church, most of the people in the churches are not saved. So this is something to keep in mind. So even if somebody hears the word, even if somebody outwardly appears to be religious, they are not. That, that alone is not a guarantee that they are in the kingdom. Um, I do believe that, you know, it's, if you really start examining lives and, you know, I mean, if you went around to everybody in your church, every, every member of your church who has professed faith in Christ, um, and you were to ask them, what is the gospel? What kind of answers do you think you'd get? You know, try it sometime. I mean, that's basically the number one membership question that I used to ask when somebody was joining our church. Tell me the gospel. Yeah. And boy, that will open up. <laughs> okay, you, you're not ready to join the church yet. You are not yet understanding the gospel. I'm going to explain it to you again. And then we will revisit this, you know, you know, you think about it. We're not, not doing it right now. You know, oh yeah, 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 that's what I believe. No, no, no. <laughs> you need to go think about this because we're not going to add you to the church roles until we're convinced that you understand and believe the gospel. Because there, there are a lot of people in the churches who don't know the gospel. And if you ask them what the gospel is, you're going to get some pretty strange answers. So... But that's an interesting experiment, you know. Just look at somebody. So, what? What in your understanding does it take for a person to be to get into heaven? Find out how they answer. It'll 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 be an eye opener, I tell you. All right, continuing in the sixteen eighty nine. Much less can men that do not receive the Christian religion be saved. Be they never so diligent to frame their lives according to the light of nature and the law of that religion they do profess. Okay, this is the hypothetical tribesman in Borneo who's never heard the gospel. Probably should quit using Borneo because I think it's a fairly well evangelized nation. But, you know, 
That was all, you know, somewhere in the deep, dark jungle, there's a tribe that has never heard the gospel. And yes, I believe those people groups still exist. And I mean, there are, there are individuals in modern cities in Europe where the church is anemic and on life support who have probably never heard the gospel because there are not enough Christians to faithfully proclaim it to the whole population. And you, you look at that and you look at, you know, Europe during the Reformation and, and you know, just the spread of the gospel. And then you look at it now and you realize there are people born and raised, you know, live their whole lives and die in France or Germany or the Netherlands who have never heard the gospel. Okay, what about them? You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Apart from the message of the gospel, there is no salvation. And this again comes down to the fact that God has chosen beforehand whom he is going to save. He has chosen the whom, and he has chosen the how, and he has chosen the when. All of that has been decreed by God. So, Romans 1 and natural revelation um, are sufficient to condemn man. Mankind is condemned by the revealing of God in creation so that there is no denying that God exists and the revealing of God in morality in the fact that because of the Imago Dei, the, the image of God in which all mankind is created, because of that, we all have an innate sense of right and wrong. And that's demonstrated by looking at the rules and laws that have been established by societies all over the world. And at their heart, they are very, very similar. Laws against murder, laws against theft, you know, the, the, it's the in, innate understanding of right and wrong. Now, it's distorted by the fall, but it is enough to, to convict. And the example is always, you know, you, the, 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 you can't stand up in front of God and say, I didn't know lying was wrong if you've never heard the Ten Commandments. And the reason is you've gotten mad when somebody lied to you. That's the evidence that you know lying is wrong. You may think it's perfectly okay for you to lie to somebody else, but if somebody lies to you, you're going to get angry. You may think it's perfectly okay for you to take other people's stuff, but if somebody takes your stuff, you're going to get angry. So you know that lying is wrong. You know theft is wrong. You know, you may think it's perfectly okay for you to sleep with another man's wife, but if another man slept with your wife, you'd get angry. So you know adultery is wrong. So that's the fact that mankind has no excuse. And so even those who have, that God has sovereignly decreed, never hear the gospel. That's not an excuse for their lack of belief. And it doesn't matter how... Um, Oh, what's the word? Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm 
trying to sincerely, how sincerely they believe what religion they do have. Doesn't work. Um, Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. It's, it's entirely in Jesus. And, and you can't get saved apart from believing the gospel. That's what Romans 10 is all about. You know, how can they believe unless they hear? How can they hear unless there's a preacher? You know, so, I mean, that's such an important thing. And it's, you know, one of the motivations for the whole, the whole missionary movement. But it's very important. Because there's no other, there's the salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. You have to hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and be saved. Um, John 4.22, he says, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So worshiping what you don't know doesn't save you. Um, he was saying that to a Samaritan woman, and the Samaritans had a distorted Judaism um, for various factors. It goes all the way back to the divided kingdom, because Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, where Jerusalem remained the capital of the southern kingdom of Judah. And the kings of the northern kingdom established you know, idols saying they were Yahweh, and established pagan worship, saying they were worshiping Yahweh. And then came the Assyrian captivity, and so that the Samaritans were actually half-breeds. There was a uh, almost a formal breeding program trying to breed you know, interbreeding between the the Assyrians and the Jews, many of the Jews were deported, and then Assyrians came in and they married Jewish women who had remained, and so the the Samaritans were a half breed people, and they had a distorted Judaism. They didn't have even the full Old Testament Judaism. So there was a great deal of confusion in their religious practices. And so he says, you're, you're worshiping what you don't know. Well, you have to know the one, the true and living God in order to be saved. So that's a, that's a, you know, it doesn't matter how sincere you are if you are sincerely wrong. All right, John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Apart from Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. And natural revelation is not sufficient, nor is sincerity in a false religion. You have to know the God of the Bible. And the only way to know the God in the Bible is through Jesus Christ. So... The, the, the proverbial tribesman who never heard the gospel is just as lost as the man on Wall Street who heard the gospel and rejected it. 
and both of them are eternally lost according to God's sovereign election. And, and that is something that many people have a hard time grasping. But it's what the Bible teaches. Our God is a sovereign God. He saves whom he will. And those whom he does not will, he does not save. All right. And that's, it, it's kind of a downer subject, but it's important. God saves the elect. God saves those whom he has chosen sovereignly, completely. You know, that's, that's, one thing, that's why we can't boast. Those who are saved are not saved because they're smarter and figured it out. And that the people who reject the gospel reject the gospel because they just aren't smart enough to figure it out. I don't know. I know some brilliant lost people. It's not a matter of intelligence. It's a matter of faith. And that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. It is the sovereign election of God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's by grace through faith and not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. And so that is something that we can rejoice in and give great thanks for. And it's also why we pray for our lost friends and relatives. Because while it is up to us to share the gospel, it's God who saves. You know, I can't get anybody saved. I can faithfully proclaim the gospel, but I can't get anybody saved. Only God can save sinners. And so we pray for the lost. And we should pray for the lost daily, and we should pray for the lost both generally and specifically. You know, not just, Lord, save lost people, but Lord, save Billy, you know, or whoever is on your heart. You know, lost family members, lost friends, lost loved ones who need to come to Christ. Pray for them. Pray for them by name. Pray for them often. All right, well, let's recite together our faith from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the Collect for Grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance, to do always that is righteous in thy sight, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, that's Squirrel Chatter for today. I hope you have the best of Thursdays. I hope your day goes well, whatever endeavors you are undertaking. i got to do laundry and start packing for Shepherd's Conference. Remember to do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not to do. 
whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.